Thank you so much for tuning into the Chronic Illness Support Podcast. Today, our guest is Michelle N. Johnson, who will be talking about adenomyosis as an advocate and someone who has suffered with the illness. According to the Mayo Clinic, at least 200,000 cases are diagnosed in the United States every year. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michelle. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Samantha. Well, first, thank you so much for having me back. I always love when we get together to have these discussions. Um, So for new listeners uh, who may not be familiar, as you mentioned, my name is Michelle Johnson and I am the fighter, fighter, the founder of the Fighting Fiercely Endometriosis Awareness Movement. And I'm also the author of the book by the same name, Fighting Fiercely, Unveiling the Unknown About Endometriosis. And I also work as a patient advocate for endometriosis with the Chronic Disease Coalition. That's awesome. Uh, and what else did you ask in there? Um, tell us a little bit about your journey with adenomyosis. Yeah, so my journey with endo, uh, adenomyosis is very interesting because it kind of overlapped with my diagnosis for endometriosis as well. And so for for people who are not familiar, adenomyosis occurs when the normal lining of the uterus, which we call the endometrium, when that actually breaks through and grows inside of the muscle or the body of the uterus. And so the important difference between that and endo is that endometriosis occurs outside of the uterus and adenomyosis occurs in the uterus. And there, a lot of people don't know, but there are actually two types of adenomyosis. One is called focal adenomyosis, which is when the disease is kind of um, located in one spot. And then there's diffuse adenomyosis when it's just kind of dispersed throughout the uterus. And most people um, tend to have diffuse adenomyosis, um, but it's important to note that if you have focal or localized adenomyosis, if you work with the right specialist, it can be removed without hysterectomy. But again, the majority of people diagnosed with this tend to have diffuse adeno, and for that, hysterectomy is the only cure. And so for me, how I was diagnosed with it was when I had my first surgery in 2008, which was right after my diagnosis with endometriosis, I was doing very well until about two years later in 2010. And I noticed that my symptoms had started to come back. And this time they were worse and they seemed to be uh, most painful, like specifically around my menstrual cycle. So I noticed that my bleeding had become more intense and severe. Um, I started to pass very large blood clots. I started to have very intense cramping and spasming in my lower back, which was not something that I had experienced with my endo. And I had also had very intense cramping and spasms in my rectum as well as in my vagina. And so after some, you know, additional testing and some more ultrasounds and some MRIs, the doctors were able to see that uh, my uterus didn't look normal from the imaging. They described it as like soggy or boggy looking, and they noticed some more um, abnormalities that could potentially be tumors. And so through some more testing and ultimately a biopsy, I was finally officially diagnosed in 2012 with adenomyosis. 
wow, that sounds really painful. I'm sorry you had to go through all of that. Yeah, it was incredibly, it was very, very painful. Yeah. What made you decide to become an advocate for adenomyosis? Well, kind of like, much like with my journey with endometriosis, as I learned about my own disease and as I was becoming more familiar with it and with my diagnosis and treatment, the more I tried to research and get additional information on my own, I started to realize that there just was not enough information out there. You know, when we talk about endometriosis and the fact that it's a disease that affects one in 10 women, yet so many people haven't heard of it, I would say with adenomyosis, even less people have heard of it. And it's talked about that much less. And so because just I was getting frustrated in my own journey, not finding much info out about it myself, I just kind of put that with the advocacy work that I was already doing with endo and started doing both. Because as you know, a good majority of women who have endometriosis also have adenomyosis and vice versa. So it just seemed like a good fit to begin to advocate for the both of those together. Yeah, that's great that you've been able to use what you've been through to help other people. Yeah, it's um, you kind of have to, you know, yeah. the information isn't there and we don't put it out there. There'll continue to be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of women who aren't being properly diagnosed and who go on to suffer for needlessly suffer, you know, for a very long time. Yeah. How long did you suffer with symptoms before you were diagnosed with adenomyosis? You know, it's so very difficult to say because so many of the symptoms for endometriosis and adenomyosis, like they overlap, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so yeah. kind of difficult to pinpoint like exactly when the symptoms started that were specifically a result of the adeno. But what I can say is that it was two years um, from 2010 that I noticed those shift in, in my menstrual cycle that I noticed that huge shift was about two, 2010. And so I can say it was like two years after that point that I was officially diagnosed, but I would say probably as long as I had endometriosis, which the doctors guesstimated at least about 10 to 15 years be- before I was diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. What treatments have you tried or did you try and did they help with adenomyosis? So the treatments with my adenomyosis were very interesting. For that specifically, I noticed that a lot of my treatments were hormone-based. They revolved around kind of controlling hormones and managing my menstrual cycle. And so what I mean by that was at first there was a lot of different experimenting with different types of birth control to kind of like lessen the flow of the cycle, lessen the intensity of the bleeding. And they went back and forth with different combinations of like estrogen and progestin and like progestin-only pills. Um, And that was kind of exhausting. because they would do it, you know, try this for a month. Okay, that's not working. Then try this for a couple months. So there was like a lot of overlap with all of these different medications in my system. And so because of that, I do feel like I suffered a lot of emotional and hormonal side effects from all of that. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, we did settle on the birth control Sprintec. It's a very low dose hormone pill. 
And that seemed to work for me without any of the side effects. And so what my doctor decided to do was have me take the pill continuously um, so that I wouldn't get a cycle at all because I was basically unable to function whenever I would get my period. And so they decided, okay, we'll have you take it for three months and then have a break and then take it for three months. But even when I would get that break to have my cycle, my pains were so, so severe that they just said, you're going to stay on it all the time and just not have a period. And unfortunately with that, I did have occasional uh, what they call breakthrough bleeding where I would still spot. But that worked for a while. It worked for a few years until it didn't. (laughs) And so the treatments uh, that they put me on was they gave me um, Norethindrone to take with the birth control pill again, to try to balance that things out and to stop that breakthrough bleeding. They also put me on a higher dose of Elevil or amitriptyline. Mm-hmm. And if you remember from our discussion with Endo, when they first put me on Elevil, I think they started me out at 25 milligrams and that was too much. So initially I was on 10, right? And that mm-hmm. helped for a few years. By the time I got to my adenomyosis diagnosis, I was up to 100 milligrams a day. Oh, wow. And I went from 10 milligrams to 100 milligrams. And that ultimately did not um, control the pain. And so although the Elevil helped at such a high dose, I was very drowsy and very sleepy over, you know, a lot of the time. So it affected ability to be productive and so out of I don't want to necessarily use the word desperation but I guess that would be an honest way to look at it mm-hmm. um I started looking more into holistic treatments because with the birth control and the amitriptyline and then at this point they had me back on high doses of Norco I wanted to try to see if there were some holistic options that could help me so I started exploring um, CBD products, you know, those are very popular now. And I experimented with those. And I did find some CBD products that were very helpful. But the downside to that is, I believe that, again, because even with the CBD, I was taking so much high doses of it. Mm -hmm. I believe that unfortunately, it started to contribute to the issues that I had with my liver. And so yeah, I was just taking high doses of everything, but eventually it just stopped helping the pain at all. Yeah, it's awful that we have to choose between taking a medication or a supplement um, and then suffer with side effects. Yeah, it's like you're trading one set of symptoms for another set of symptoms, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it does. It's very difficult to have to choose between the two. Yeah. Um, What other information would you like to discuss about adenomyosis? I think what I mentioned earlier, and that just being the fact that I feel like adenomyosis is not discussed enough. You know, um, like I said before, when we have these discussions around chronic pelvic pain, we talk a lot about endometriosis. And again, for as many women suffer with that, adenomyosis is not talked about. It's talked about even less. And I feel like because so many women have both diseases Mm -hmm. at the same time, and because so many of the symptoms overlap, I feel like adeno should be discussed right 
along with endometriosis when people are trying to diagnose causes of chronic pelvic pain, if that makes sense. I think we should be having a broader discussion around adenomyosis. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you mentioned that you have endometriosis. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, as I mentioned before, I do have stage four endometriosis. Um, thankfully, I have been in symptom suppression or remission, you could say, for the last few years. I had my last surgery in 2018, and I would say since then, my symptoms have been 95% improved, so I haven't had many flare-ups or really any issues in the last few years since That's my great. last surgery yeah I know right it's the best <laughs> I felt in like a decade right. so although I still am you know watching what I eat and still trying to stick pretty close to the endo diet you know anti-inflammatory okay. diet um if I cheat a little bit or you know indulge sometimes in foods that I'm not supposed to eat I will still have little flare-ups but they're nothing compared to what I used to have so hopefully okay. it'll stay suppressed and and we'll be all good for a little while longer. Yeah, I hope so. How do you cope with um, what you've been through with adenomyosis and endometriosis and chronic illness? You know, honestly, with my in, with my adenomyosis, when my pain was like at its peak, for me, it was very difficult to cope. As I mentioned before, I was not able to function. Like, so most of the time I was confined to my bed. And yeah. that was all I could do was just stay in bed or lie on the couch and just try to manage the pain as best I could. Typically, again, with those high dose pain medications or like heating pads mm -hmm. or just sleep. You know, sometimes it, it was just all I could do was just to sleep because if I was asleep, I wasn't awake and actively, you know, feeling pain. Yeah. So for me, my adenomyosis was very difficult for me to cope with. Um, it, I was just rendered pr pretty much useless. And I know that seems like a strong word, but that's kind of how I felt. I was not able to do much, you know, when I was in those flare-ups, not much at all. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. What is something that you wish you would have known when you were diagnosed? I, I wish I would have known about the disease itself and how closely related it is to endometriosis. You know, I feel like those first few years after my first diagnosis for endometriosis in 2008, where I was being like what I like to call medically experimented on, while yeah. doctors were trying to figure out what happened, you know, when my symptoms started to reoccur and doctors were trying to figure out what to do with me, you know, they were feeling like my endo was back you know, even though my first surgery was an excision surgery. And looking back now, I feel like a lot of that pain was actually due to adenomyosis. But yeah. because it was never brought up as a possibility, it was never a part of the conversation. I feel like I spent years being misdiagnosed and mistreated. And I ultimately suffered much longer than I needed to. Um, so I just wish that I would have even known about its existence as one of the possible causes of my pelvic pain after excision surgery. Because, you know, you see that in a lot of the groups yeah. where ladies will say, well, I had excision surgery and it's a few months later and my symptoms are back. And a lot of times it's not necessarily that the endo is back, but you may also have adenomyosis and just not be aware of that. 
Yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Mm-hmm. You touched on this a little bit, um, but I don't know if you want to go into more detail about how adenomyosis affects your your daily life um, before you had your hysterectomy. Yeah, so this is going to be a little bit graphic, but I feel like the more honest, the better. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I agree. Listening are having these same symptoms, maybe it will prompt them to ask their doctor, you know, if adenomyosis is a possibility. But at the time it it did, it significantly affected my life because I was literally bleeding or contracting all the time. I think the longest time for me, I bled for like nine and a half months straight. Oh, wow. Like not spotting, not spotting, bleeding. Yeah. You know, and I always felt like I was contracting, like not regular menstrual cramps, but like I felt like I was walking around in like a pregnancy labor type of contractions. You know, um, I could only wear black clothes. Everything in my closet from my underwear to whatever I wore outside was black because I never knew when or where I would start bleeding or if I would bleed through my clothes or on the bus, or sitting on a friend's couch, you know, that's the worst thing, you're visiting somebody, and you just get this rush of blood out of nowhere, and you've ruined a friend's couch, or their car, it's like, how do you explain that, you know, to somebody, Um, I would have to layer my bed with towels, in case I started bleeding in the middle of the night, Uh, it affected my ability to work, because, you know, the pain was so intense, I would literally be double over in pain, and, Mm -hmm. There were sometimes I lost track of days. I lost track of time because I would get in this cycle of just meds on top of meds on top of meds. And I would just be so drowsy and spend so much time sleeping or not being functional. I wouldn't like I wouldn't know what day it was or what was happening, you know, and I had to start keeping what I called a period pack. You know, I've heard some ladies mention this before, like, but in my purse, I always had to keep sanitary pads. I had to keep extra underwear. I would have to keep wipes or towels and medications because, again, you don't know when an episode is going to hit or where you're going to be. So you just kind of always had to be prepared, you know. Um, So, yeah, it could be overwhelming for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think having a period pack is a great idea. It is. It's not something, it's not cute. You know, it's not something right. that a lot of people want to talk about. Like if you're out at a, like at a festival or something, like you can't just put on a cute little fanny pack, but this, this that's what your life becomes, right? That's what your new normal starts to look like. So I do think it's a good thing to have. And I think a lot more ladies, we should start to normalize that a little more so yeah. that ladies who have to do that are not embarrassed or stigmatized or, you know, feel ashamed about needing to have that. Yeah, definitely. You touched on this a little bit, but how are you doing now with symptoms? Well, the good news is I'm now 100% pain-free from my adenomyosis symptoms. And like I said, I've been doing pretty good with my endo as well. Um, But the bad news is unlike endometriosis, the only proven cure for diffuse adenomyosis, which is the kind that I had, is a hysterectomy. So as we talked about a little bit earlier in May of 2018, um, I finally decided to have a hysterectomy. And that was after about six years of trying to keep my fertility and keep my uterus. 
because I never wanted to have to have a, a hysterectomy. It was always my dream and my desire to have children. And in fact, I wanted a very large family, but with the disease progressing the way that it was and how bad that it was getting and starting to affect other organs and other parts of my health, um, I had to make that very difficult decision. But now two years post-op, you know, looking at how the disease, you know, like I said, was starting to grow and manage and affect, I'm sorry, other areas of my health. I am realizing now that it was the best choice for me to make. And though I struggle sometimes emotionally still with the loss of fertility, I don't regret uh, making the decision to, to get the hysterectomy. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sorry that you had to make that decision. Yeah, it was, I, I fought for six years, you know, yeah. when I diagnosed, that was the first thing that they put on the table was hysterectomy. And I just was not ready yeah. um, at that time. And, and that's a decision that you have to be 100% sure that you're ready to make. Yeah, definitely. Is mm-hmm. there any other information you would like listeners to know about adenomyosis? Well, yeah, I think kind of just what I mentioned a few seconds ago there is just that the adenomyosis, much like endo, it's not just a physical disease. It mm-hmm. it very much affects you mentally, emotionally, and psychologically as well. And as you were just saying, you know, the choice to keep your fertility and deal with the pain versus curing your pain, but mm-hmm. losing your fertility, that's a an excruciating decision to make, you know, and that's a decision that's often more difficult than the choice to deal with your physical pain, you know? Um, So for people who are dealing with this, I just want them to know that when they are seeking options for the medical part, the physical part of the disease, um, Mm -hmm. that it's also important to get support for that emotional and, and mental aspects uh, as well, because you'll definitely be affected in those areas too. Yeah, definitely. What piece of advice do you want to give listeners? I would say if you're having symptoms that are typically being characterized as endometriosis, talk to your doctor about the possibility of adenomyosis as well. So for example, if you've had excision surgery and your biopsy came back negative and no endometriosis was found, or if you've had successful excision of endometriosis and you find a few months or a few years later, it seems as if your symptoms are returning, ask about the possibility of adenomyosis because again, a lot of the symptoms overlap between the two. And somebody may say, well, you've had excision surgery, we've looked and there's no endo present, you know, it must be something else. Go get pelvic floor therapy or do PT. And those are certainly viable options as well. But if you've kind of gone through that checklist and you're still having symptoms and, and adenomyosis has not been brought up as an option, I would urge you to talk to your doctor about getting some imaging or perhaps some biopsies done to see if that might be the cause for your, your pain as well. Yeah, that's great advice. Mm-hmm. How can someone show support for adenomyosis? Well, as you know, this is April and April is Adenomyosis Awareness Month. And so right now with everything going on in the world and we are 
social distancing and turning more to technology, I would encourage people to just do some web searches on like Facebook or Instagram for adenomyosis advocates like myself who are like doing kind of like what we did with Endo, posting facts and information about articles and um, I'm sorry, facts and information and articles to educate yourself more and just learn more about the disease and follow, you know, those um, Instagrammers and bloggers and vloggers and YouTubers who may have channels dedicated to educating people about this disease. Yeah, that's great information. Um, how can listeners connect with you? Um, listeners can connect with me on pretty much all the the social media platforms. If you guys are on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com backslash fighting fiercely. If you are on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at fight fierce endo. And if you want to learn more about me and my advocacy and the books that I've written on uh, my endometriosis, you can look at www.fightingfiercely.com. Awesome. I will definitely put all that information in the show notes for listeners. Awesome. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. And if listeners would like to learn more about Michelle's journey with endometriosis, listen to our previous episode titled Endometriosis with Michelle and Johnson. So I would like to say thank you so much for taking time to be a guest on the Chronic Illness Support Podcast and telling your story with adenomyosis to help provide education and awareness. I enjoyed having you, Michelle. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's always a good time when I get together with you. So anytime, I'm happy to do it. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. If you found listening to the Chronic Illness Support Podcast helpful in any way, please subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 